And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. I am the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com, Pete Sweeney, once again joined by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. John, it is week five. It is October 8th. How are you doing today? I had to turn the air conditioner back on. The last time we talked, I had to just turn the heater on. Now the AC is back on. Welcome to Missouri. This is one of my least favorite times of the year because you just can't dress for the day, right? Yeah. Because in the morning and the evening, it's cool, it's chilly. During the day, you want to rip your clothes off. Nobody wants to see that. So it is the perfect problem. <laughs> this is a classic first world problem, as they would say. There are worse problems in the world. But yes, this is a very interesting time of the year in Missouri to dress. There's no doubt about that. The yeah, latest- well, that's why I'm naked. <laughs> okay. All right. See, that's that's exactly what I wanted to prevent, and uh, I was unable to. I was unable to. All right. All right. I'm off my game already, but let's get down to business. And that, of course, is unfortunately right now the coronavirus. Coronavirus in the NFL, it's become a problem in Tennessee specifically where they just can't contain this thing. It's positive test after positive test after positive test. There were new positive tests in Tennessee as of Thursday. And you're asking, well, this is a Chiefs podcast. Why why are you talking about the Titans positive tests? Well, as it turns out, the Titans play the Bills this weekend and the Bills have the Chiefs on Thursday night football. So if this game gets canceled, what the Chiefs could be looking at is three games in 11 days dating back to their own coronavirus issues with Cam Newton and Jordan Ta'amu while the Bills get 10 days off before Thursday night football. The Chiefs, they have had zero positive tests as of Thursday morning, according to NFL Network's Tom Pelissero. That's important to note because Stefan Gilmore of the New England Patriots, he tested positive, presumably potentially having the virus as he's playing the Chiefs. So the Chiefs and the Raiders who have had these positive tests, Maurice Hurst for the Raiders, they have been negative. So it looks like their Sunday game is okay. But where it could get impacted is, is it really fair for the Chiefs to have basically very, very, very little rest while the Raiders essentially have a bye week going into their next Thursday night football game? John, sort it out for me. I'm not sure it can be sorted out. I mean, this is a mess. It's a big mess. And any notion of fairness in the NFL schedule, that ship has sailed. You know, when the NFL said it would be okay for some teams to have fans in the stands and some teams not to have fans in the stands, you know, when they didn't leave any room in the schedule to move games around if they had to, uh, any notion of the kind of fairness that we tend to see the NFL try and achieve and in the way it does its business went out the window. And it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. You can understand why the league, well, you can maybe understand why the league <laughs> chose to do it this particular way, but they've 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 made that bed, and now they're going to have to lie in it for the for the for good or ill. I think one of the things that's really interesting about this is something that nobody's really talking about. We're all focused on rescheduling these games and getting these games played, but there's another aspect to this that people aren't really considering. In a lot of these NFL markets, even a game without fans violates a whole lot of local ordinances with regard to the coronavirus outbreak. Um, you know, you if you have a business, 
you can't have a gathering of a couple hundred people, you know, with some kind of event going on. You can't do it. But NFL teams are being allowed to play these games without fans putting together a group of two or 300 people in the facility to have the game. And they're doing it because I think because the teams and the NFL have convinced local authorities, look, we're we're doing everything we can to limit the outs- uh, the the spread of the disease within this thing that violates all your your rules. Right. And if things go bad like they're going bad in Tennessee right now for whatever reason, that argument goes out the window. What happens if out in California or in New Jersey where the local ordinances would would prevent an NFL game from being played without fans? They say, well, look, you're not taking care of the business like you said you were going to. We're not going to let you play these games anymore. Then we've got real problems when a big chunk of the league can't even play its games in their home fields without fans. That's, I think, why the NFL is working so hard to get these teams on board with following the protocols. Because if these more restrictive jurisdictions like California, New Jersey, et cetera, there's others as well, start getting antsy about having games being played with even without fans, the league is in real trouble. Yeah, I think everyone is focused on Tennessee right now because they were the ones who set this mess off. Paul Kaharski, who has his own website, a Titans reporter for a long time down there, revealed that after they were barred from the facility, they had what was considered an illegal workout at a high school, which has probably not helped the spread. And as it continues... Some people are saying the Titans should have to forfeit their games. John, you're talking about slippery slopes. I'm not sure the NFL wants to go down that slippery slope because if that happens to one team, then now the Titans are going to expect that happens to every team where there's an outbreak, whether you can prove it or not. So it is getting a little bit messy. I think the positive is we did see this a little bit at the beginning of the MLB season with the Miami Marlins, another Mm -hmm. team, the St. Louis Cardinals, who are locally fairly locally, I should say. And I think that was a wake-up call to Major League Baseball. I think after three or four weeks, maybe you you see that there's not a ton of positive tests. You get a little lazy with the protocols. That's human nature. This is a Mm -hmm. harsh reminder to the entire league. You have to take this thing seriously. Mask, protocols, et cetera, et cetera. One person who maybe, and he'll say it, you'll hear it in a second, Patrick Mahomes, you know, he went up to Stefan Gilmore. There was a picture floating around, which I, I didn't love, considering the fact that Mahomes was around Jordan Ta'amu for the entire week. That, to me, is, yeah. <laughs> is more dangerous than a minute with Stefan Gilmore. Now, that being said, he was seen on national television being face-to-face with Stefan Gilmore after that was disallowed in the preseason. And not to pick on Mahomes here, because the entire league has been doing this. If you watch any mm-hmm. game, after the yeah. game, they're still shaking hands. The rule, as it was for this year, was players after the game were not supposed to be within six feet of one another. Here is Patrick Mahomes discussing this on Wednesday. I think you just have to uh, trust in the the process and the protocols that are set in place. I mean, obviously, uh, knowing that I, I I went up to him after the game and just gave him the high five like I would I, I've done my whole career and not thinking about it. it was I mean a little bit of a mental lapse, uh, just trying to be, show sportsmanship and stuff like that, but. Uh, I mean, I feel like the, the protocols in place are good, and I just have to trust in that, wear my mask, uh, do whatever Rick and them say, and then, and then uh, just trust in we don't all know what, what's happening in this world this time, but just accept the challenge every single day of being uh, in the best place I can be to be available for the team. 
Yeah, well, listen, I mean, we're just, we take it day by day and we try to do the best we possibly can um, at keeping ourselves as clean as we can and, and uh, at the same time learning every day. So, um, you know, I, we're, we're all wearing masks. We've been doing that and more shields and whatever. I mean, whatever all the terms are, but we've tried to keep our nose and our mouth covered the best way we possibly can and, and, uh, and then try to be as safe as we can off the field. Um, so, uh, but listen, I think just like you, every, uh, you guys, every day is a new experience that you got to kind of work through and, uh, that's what we're doing. You know, what's funny. And this is something to respect about an Andy Reed run team. He doesn't want to even ever have to deal with the idea of the chiefs breaking dumb rules. Like the coaches had to wear masks. He had a way to figure out how to wear that face mask. So the NFL puts out rules. Andy Reid follows them because the last thing he wants is any distraction from trying to beat teams like the New England Patriots, who came out with a pretty good game plan. We're about to talk about that in a second. Or facing a division rival in the Las Vegas Raiders or the Buffalo Bills coming up. So he says, okay, the league says this. We're going to follow them. We're going to do whatever they say because we are going to have no excuses here. I just think the Chiefs respect Reid and by extension, Mahomes so much that it's hard for me to believe like a Titans outbreak would happen because you wouldn't want to disappoint a guy like Reed, not to say that Vrabel has lost his team or anything. I just couldn't see that ha happening in Kansas City. And it's because of the pedigree of Coach Andy Reed. Yeah, I had a thought the other day, too. Uh, you know, I've, I've said uh, uh, more than once that I feel the Chiefs have done an outstanding job in uh, dealing with these protocols and following the protocols and doing everything they could to make sure that they were doing everything possible to avoid having uh, coronavirus infections on the team. And it struck me the other day that you really don't have to go much further than Andy Reid. In that first game, he's wearing the face shield. It's fogging up. He can't see what's going on the field in front of him during a game, okay? This is a big problem. Based on what we have seen, I would suggest to you that any other NFL coach would have taken that thing off of his hat right. for the rest of the game because we've seen it. You know, the coaches are bothered by the face mask, so they pull them down, have them around their necks, and they get fined for it. Not Andy Reid. He couldn't see what was going on in front of him, and he left that thing on because, as you say, it's a rule. And uh, I think that says quite a bit about what the Chiefs are doing with regard to the coronavirus inside the facility and, and and their attitude about it. You know, Reed understands that he's a leader and what he does impacts the team and what their attitude and their approach to it is. And, and you got to have a lot of respect for that. All right. So we're about 11 or 12 minutes into the podcast. I think we've talked enough <laughs> <clears throat> uh, about coronavirus. So... Let's move on here and talk about some football. We didn't have an editor's show again on Tuesday because of the game being on Monday for the second week in a row. We didn't think that that was going to happen. So you guys got the Arrowhead Pride Laboratory post game. So let's talk about the Patriots game for a second before we move on. And we'll have one marinated theme for each of us. John, I'll, I'll let you start. Yeah, you know, I didn't realize this until uh, before the game started and I was putting together an article and I was doing research on the rivalry between Reed and Bill Belichick. If you'd ask a guy on the street, which coach between these two has the upper hand, 
they would say, well, Belichick, obviously. Right. But th- that's largely a function of what's happened in the postseason. The Chiefs have lost two big postseason games to the Patriots since Andy Reid has been here. They were not blowouts. The Chiefs were in both of those games to the end, but they did lose them. And in fact, uh, over their career history, Reid is 0-3 against Belichick. But what I find interesting is that when they started playing games against each other back when Reed was the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, Belichick had the upper hand in that rivalry. Reed was one and three against Belichick in Philadelphia. But right now, in the regular season, he's four and one against Belichick with the Chiefs. And that suggests to me that Andy Reed is finally figuring out how to get the upper hand over one of the greatest coaches of all times. And yeah, I think if we played a postseason game against the Patriots, I think the Chiefs have a very good chance to win it, despite the lack of success they've had in the postseason. There's one of these Mount Rushmore type of debates, right? Because I think back to last year when the Patriots could have been in the AFC title game. And then if Reed had beat him in the AFC title game, then of course he would have the advantage because right. I think a lot of people would look at this and say, yeah, but Bill Belichick beat him in the Super Bowl. But you might give Andy Reed the upper hand if Belichick hadn't been upset early last year and they had made it to the AFC title game. And then you say, right. so that would be the counter argument for but he beat him in the biggest game because, you know, now that they're both in the AFC, the biggest game would have to be the AFC title. So right. it's an interesting debate. And, and I think that's an interesting way to put it. And it's certainly getting closer. 6-1 is where I think I, I would finish on that because maybe head to head, you have a point, but still Andy Reid, I think needs a couple more Super Bowls to even sure. unfortunately get close to, to Bill, at least for me. But I'm thinking more in terms of who would have the edge in a particular game. And yeah. I think that's the point where we've gotten to now yeah. is that in a given game at this point, I think Reed has the advantage over Belichick. It's a decent point. Reed also has a much younger and better quarterback, even well, with Cam yeah, Newton. There's that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my marinated Patriots theme. I think we need to, for the foreseeable future, come to terms with the fact that the Chiefs are going to win most games, but <laughs> it's crazy to say they're eventually going to lose one, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they were vulnerable on Monday night, and it was unexpected because it was Mahomes versus Brian Hoyer. And I'm just going to say it. They should have lost. There were two balls in the hands of Patriots defenders that should have been intercepted. There was a break from a referee where, I mean, that was clearly a fumble. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. It was 6-3. With all those things happening, it was still 6-3 late in the third quarter. If a couple of those things go the Patriots' way, I think it's still a defensive struggle. And maybe the Chiefs muster up a comeback at the end, but it's a different game when the Patriots have the lead. Now the Chiefs won. You know, the defense played well. It is what it is. There's no ifs in in football. I get that. What I'm saying is there's going to be a game plan in the future, hopefully not the near future, but there's going to be a game plan in the future where Mahomes is curbed. He's a human being and the chiefs lose a football game. Like you got to remember, and it's, and it's no better example than playing the Patriots, right? They're considered the most successful franchise over the last two decades. They won six out of 20. It wasn't 20 out of 20. And so I just think it was a good reminder considering the chiefs have won what 12 or 13 games in a row where It's been great. It's been so much fun. But winning, 
you know, 80% of your games is just far better than the rest of the league. And, and we've been awfully spoiled. And I just think it was a reminder that there, there will be a loss. I mean, I don't know when it's going to be. You hope that it's not in the playoffs because that's where folks are judged. We were just talking about Reed and Belichick. But there is a vulnerability because, again, the Chiefs are humans and, and people are not going to have uh, good games in the same, same day. Even championship teams, we see examples of it every year, lose games that they shouldn't against what would typically or nominally, if you want to put it that way, an inferior opponent. Now, I don't think the Patriots are an inferior opponent. I went to great lengths in my piece after the game on Tuesday to bring up that Belichick is a great coach. I mean, he is. And he has, on several occasions now, managed to keep the Chiefs' offense throttled back long enough to keep the Patriots in these games and the Chiefs more often than not have come back to win them and so you have to respect that but at the same time you're right it shows that it is possible to get the upper hand with the Chiefs for a period of time to hold the offense back and keep the game close so that you've got a chance to win it and a couple of bounces go the other way The Patriots sure could have won this game. There's no question about that. All right. Those are our marinated takeaways from Chiefs Patriots. Need to turn the page now to Chiefs Raiders coming up on Sunday at noon. So we think this thing is ever changing. (laughs) We hope it does. The injury report to start the week for the Chiefs. Uh, Mike Dana is out for the first practice day on Wednesday. He has a hamstring issue stemming from that last game against the Patriots. Chris Jones, who missed the game, is still limited as he deals with a groin injury. I think that was part of the problem on on Monday as well mm-hmm. is like yeah. that pressure. It, it's not as much without Jones and, and that Clark tandem. Uh, there's no replacing Chris Jones. So the sooner he can come back, the better Andy Reed called him day to day. You know, you always have to say in Kansas city, we hope it's not the Eric Berry day to day. We don't, we don't think it is. We just so think it's fortunate, regular old day to day. So that's our injury report. We will talk about our Kansas city, Las Vegas questions in our third segment, but coming up next on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, we'll be joined by one of our staff writers, Ron Kopp, to talk about a quote from Tyreek Hill we heard yesterday. Stay with us. It's the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. 
Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editors Show, week five, getting ready for Chiefs and Raiders, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon. And now we would like to welcome on one of our great staff writers at Arrowhead Pride, Ron Kopp. Ron, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, first time this season. You guys had me on before the season, but uh, first uh, first season show. So I'm excited. Look at you. I mean, that that you know you've made it when you're on the Arrowhead Pride Editors Show during the season. So good for oh, you. Yeah. I want to talk about Tyree Kill today, and it is regarding something off the field, you know, for a change. And rare we get these stories, I think, that we want to talk about during the season that are off the field. But a quote stuck with us yesterday, and I'm going to play it first, and then we'll we'll talk to Ron about his piece on Arrowhead Pride this morning. Here was Tyree Kill from Wednesday. Well, coaching has always been something that, you know, I've always wanted to do ever since, you know, I was a kid, you know, because my dad, you know, he kind of coached me, you know, through through Prop Warner, through high school, you know, um, and um, he even, you know, trained me, you know, doing some of my um, NFL offseason, you know, so just for him, you know, to help me get to the path that I'm on right now, is just so amazing, you know, like the way he, he like impacted my life, you know, the things he taught me, it's, it's like some of the same things I want to be able to teach some of these young men that I'm coaching at least some North, you know, so like, I feel like, you know, everyone has a purpose in life, you know? So my dad's purpose was to coach, you know, and to like, and, and to like impact the youth where I'm from. Well, I feel like my impact is, well, my purpose is kind of the same thing. You know, I want to be able to mentor those guys and, you know, tell, you know, like help lead those guys and like help get those guys to, like the level that they want to get to. And that's division one, division two, and that's just next level football, you know? And also, you know, help mentor them to be better young men off the field, you know? So that's what it's all about, you know? Like, yes, we love playing football, but it's what you do, you know, outside of football of is, is, is like um, who makes you who you are. So. That's why I love coaching so much. So Ron on Arrowhead Pride this morning wrote, Tyreek Hill believes mentoring young players is his purpose in life. Hill has been working with the uh, Liberty Lee Summit North team. Ron, when you dug into this, what did you find? Yeah, so I, I hadn't actually heard this. I, I'm surprised I this wasn't a bigger news story in the summer uh, when this came out. The Examiner, a news source, uh, had an article about Tyreek Hill uh, joining the coaching staff in the summer. Uh, his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, actually set it up. Uh, he called and uh, called an area team looking for a coach, and Tyree Kill was was the answer, I guess. He's the receivers coach at Lee Summit North, along with another wide receivers coach. Um, and I, I just think it's great. I, I think it's really cool that Tyreek took the time. You know, this summer, there was probably a lot of open time he had, you know, with all the chaos this offseason. Right. And he took that time to, to fill it and uh, help the local, you know, local community, uh, you know, these are local kids. These are Kansas city chiefs fans, probably I assume. Uh, and he's helping them out. He's developing them as football players and people. And I thought it was just really cool how passionate he is about it. You know, uh, players, I'm sure some players do this and maybe it's just a hobby of them. It's just a, a fun little thing to do in their off time, but Tyreek's doing it as a passion and as something he really wants to continue to do, even probably after his playing career, as you can kind of tell by what he said. And so I just think that's great. And uh, I, I, I really, as a coach myself, I really appreciate uh, what he said about that. Yeah, being an NFL player, I think is difficult enough, especially when you're dealing with the Andy Reid playbook. And it's 
the offense running through you, essentially. I mean, you're the most unique player on the team. You have this unique speed, this unique skill set. So there's a lot of pressure on that. But he was working with the high school team during the summer, as you mentioned, preseason conditioning. And even during the season, Monday and Tuesday practices and, and on Friday night for their games. I mean, you get so little free time as an NFL player. And to be doing that in addition to the regular season of the NFL, that's remarkable to me. Yeah, I think it just shows how much he loves football. I mean, how much this guy just really loves the game. Uh, it's not just, uh, you know, a career to him and he's going to move on after he's, you know, he's done playing. He just loves the game of football. And, and you can tell by how he talks about football, too, just in general, you know, not even in this press conference. You know, he's always excited. He's always, you know, energized, uh, you know, kind of it kind of just an energetic guy. And, uh, you know, that's, he's going to bring that to the coaching, uh, coaching part of his life now and to the players. And I'm sure they appreciate that. I'm sure they're having a lot of fun. Uh, I thought it was funny. The examiner actually noted that they had a no autographs and no racing rule for the players. <laughs> and so, yeah, Tyreek's not blowing any players away. Uh, on, they're not, uh, he's not challenging anybody, I guess. I guess they're not allowed to challenge him and then no autographs as well so he, he's just a coach you know he's not an NFL player when he's there he's just a coach to them John were you surprised to hear this about Tyreek Hill uh, yeah and Tyreek Hill always surprises me but what I found most interesting about this was Ron's perspective uh, after hearing Tyreek Hill speak I mean we it's funny we we do all this virtually uh, we don't really get an opportunity to see a lot of our writers because they're often in far-flung places now Ron happens to be in Kansas City, but uh, in this particular year, we're not seeing each other very often, and certainly not as much as we'd like to. Uh, we always like to have FaceTime with with the people we work with, just like where you work, I'm sure, wherever that is. Um, but I was surprised uh, to learn how uh, Ron views the game uh, when he gave his views after listening to Tyreek Hill talk about it. You're a very passionate guy, Ron, and you you are, especially for a young man, very concerned about where um, young people are going. And I, I, that was a fascinating perspective to me that I really enjoyed reading. You know, I just, I really love football. And it's not just because it's a fun sport to watch or anything. I really do believe it's the ultimate team sport. Uh, you know, no other sport, uh, makes you have 11 people in the field at the same time have to work together in unison at one at for one play in each play you know the, there's multiple plays in the game obviously but each play within itself has to, it only works if all 11 people work you know if one person misses a block and the 10 other people you know do their job it could be a two-yard loss still you know so that's why i love football and i'm a youth coach uh, you know tiger kill is a high school coach i know it's a little older the kids are a little more mature uh, I, I think youth football, I, I've enjoyed that just because, um, you know, you're impacting them a little younger in their life, a little before uh, they already kind of have their, uh, you know, preconcept notions on how football is and how they want to play football and how they play, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I've enjoyed it. Um, I, I really I really do think football is an ultimate team sport and it teaches you a lot of stuff about, uh, you know, being a, a team player in life. You know, there's a lot of things where you're going to have to work with people that are different, you know, from a different background that have different attitude, different motives in you, but you still have to be able to work with them and make something happen, uh, you know, succeed in the task you were given. And I think football is just a great indicator of that. And that's why I really appreciated Tyreek's words on that. Cause I, I feel the same way. There's an aspect to this and in football where I've seen a lot of current football players and former football players hit on the point that you just did. 
considering all the, I think, social disconnects in the world right now, football really brings people together of different backgrounds in the locker room where you're looked at as the same because you're all striving for the same goal. And it's, it's something that I think a lot of people turn to. I do want to get to one point on this, and I think it's just the journalism part of me that's just squawking in the back of my brain. <laughs> Hill's been through a lot of controversy, you know, and this is undoubtedly really, really good PR. But what I will say is just listening to hear him talk about it with his dad, understanding the PR part of this, it does really feel genuine. If Hill wasn't an NFL player, this would maybe be his true outlet of just helping people push forward and, and using football in that matter. But I think we would be remiss not to at least mention that, that aspect of it, where there's been some weird outside stories for Hill. And this is a, a really good look in a sense. Yeah, and he talked about how he wants to help the, the student-athletes off the field, you know, become better young men. And, you right. know, I, I, Hills, like you just mentioned, has had a lot of opportunities to, uh, you know, not react well to a, a story about him or things being said right. about him. You know, he could have he responded, uh, you know, a lot worse than, than he did. You know, he, he, kept, he, he kept his cool, you know, he was, he was honest. He said he was, you know, he was truthful in what he was, he was saying. He just wanted to, you know, he wasn't uh, bashing anybody. He wasn't going after any uh, particular, you know, anyone saying any stories. He just kind of let it play out. And uh, I think he, that experience he had is going to really help him mentor these young people because maybe not to the extreme that Tyreek Hill had to face, obviously, but there's going to be controversies that these young people face in their life. And it may not have anything to do right. with football, but Hill's Hill reacting to that, being able to move past that and still uh, have, uh, you know, he, he's a great, he's a, has a great life. He has a happy life. You can tell he's a, he's a happy dude. And, and, you know, at, at some point it didn't look like that could be possible. Um, so it, it's just for him to overcome that and just uh, have that experience to deal with that adversity I think that'll really help him. And I think that's kind of why maybe, maybe not why, but it just is a factor in him being a coach and how, how good of a coach he can be, just uh, helping them off the field as well. Tyreek Hill, you got to remember, is still 26 years old. I covered him now for a while, really since the beginning of his career. And I did get that sense that he was troubled a little bit at first. And now he really feels like he is mature and has a stronghold on his own life where maybe he didn't have as much control of it before. And I love the fact that he's putting some of his free time to good use. And this was a really well done story. Tyreek Hill, a young man headed in the right direction. So is Ron Kopp. Read his story. Tyreek Hill believes mentoring young players is his purpose in life. Ron, have to thank you again for joining us on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, the final segment of the week. And it's time for our Kansas City Chiefs and Las Vegas Raiders questions entering the game. And I will start here. Well, five questions entering this game on Sunday at noon. John, my first is I want to break out the combo of two of my favorite theories. Getting punched in the mouth and the weighted bat theory. I think the Chiefs especially offensively, got punched in the mouth a little bit on Monday. And I also think there is an advantage to that. And if you ever played softball or baseball as a kid, you put the donut on the bat. Yeah, take a little swing. Man, it's heavy. It's heavy. You take the donut off and it feels like you could swing that thing as hard as Gary Sheffield. 
And so what I would say is this, I think the Chiefs are going to be awakened by the fact that they had a really good game plan against them in New England. I don't think the Raiders have the personnel to really repeat it as well. And I think they come out in this game offensively and set the tone, not in the second quarter, which is the Chiefs' signature, in the first quarter against the Raiders. Oh, that very well may be. Certainly there's a, a history for that, as we'll get to here in a moment. And they have a lot of talent on that team. That's the thing that we always have to remember about the Raiders is that they are somehow putting some good talent on the team. That's not what we expected when John Gruden went out there and signed that 10-year deal for, what was it, $100 million? Because Gruden certainly didn't have a strong record for acquiring talent when he's in his previous stops coaching in the NFL. But they are getting some talent on that team. The problem is they still have Gruden who, to my mind, isn't nearly as good a coach and probably never will be as good a coach as Bill Belichick. And whether or not the Raiders can come up with a plan to contain the Chiefs early in the game is, to me, an open question. All right, John, what is your first question entering this Chiefs and Raiders game? How do the Raiders keep this from being a rout? I mean, the last three games the the Raiders and Chiefs have played the Chiefs have wiped the floor with them. 40 to 9 last year, 28 to 10 last year, 35 to 3 in 2018. Then the the closest game they've played in the last couple of seasons has been the first game of 2018 in which they won by only a touchdown. Mm. It really seems like the Chiefs have got the Raiders number in a very very disturbingly dominant way. But it's been pretty lopsided. And I, and the Raiders have actually acknowledged on the other side of this that this cannot be a rivalry until they do a little bit better. Derek Carr has historically struggled with the Chiefs, all the Chiefs teams, really, even mm-hmm. dating uh, prior to. So we will see if they're able to muster up some kind of better effort on Sunday. I have my doubts. And speaking of doubts, number three. How will Bashad Breeland be used in this game, given how good the young players have looked? Jerry Sneed looks good before his injury. Then you replace him with Charvarius Ward and Rashad Fenton. Fenton essentially had the game of its life against the New England Patriots. He was a big reason the Chiefs were able to win that game. I wonder how Bashad Breeland in his return is deployed. Will he be right back into the lineup? I have my doubts about that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think an NFL coach will tend to put the starter back in there. That's the whole genesis of, you know, a thousand arguments that fans have about uh, about their favorite teams. You know, you can go into any bar and say Elvis Gerback and immediately, you know, 10 guys are going to be talking to you about how they've never forgiven Marty Schottenheimer. <laughs> you know, I, I they just this stuff goes on forever. So I think it's reasonable to expect them to put Breland back in there as the starter, but they don't have to do that. And certainly it's going to be a tough decision for them to make because of the way that Fenton and Sneed have played that, well, of course, Sneed isn't going to be available for a while, but, you know, you have to wonder uh, what they're going to do about that. All right, John, question number four. At uh, what point do we start worrying about the uh, Chiefs offensive line? I, 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 I'm really starting to be bothered that we're not seeing more production out of Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Uh, everybody was all wild about what this guy was going to do to the league. And we got that not just from our own beat reporters here in Kansas City, but but well-connected people on the national level who've been deep inside the team, people like Peter King, uh, talking about, you know, how incredible this player was going to be. And 
you know, aside from that first game where he tore it up, uh, he's been good. We've seen flashes where he shows that he's going to be an explosive player in this game, but there have been way too many times that he's been fed into the line off tackle and just gets stopped cold. And I think that means we have to start wondering whether or not the Chiefs need to do something on the offensive line. I, I'm not sure what it is at this point in the yeah. season. Uh, you know, you can't really put Mike Remmers in there for Andrew Wiley, for example, which is something a lot of people would would say would be the first thing they'd have to do because you need Mike Remmers. You need Mike Remmers to be a backup, not the guy to plug in uh, for a starting player. So this is a real question for the Chiefs at this point is, is what are they going to do to get the offensive line clicking in a way they can get the best out of a player like Edward Zolaire? Yeah, I, I think that's a fair point. And if you look at the run block grades on PFF, and I know our nerd squad is not a big fan of PFF, but Andrew Wiley had the, the worst run block grade last game. Coleccio Semele had the best. So if you think a replacement's coming, it's probably on the right side of the line. It was a question I had because last year we saw Wisniewski replace Wiley and he never left position. It's something I asked Andy Reid heading into the Patriots game. Would Wiley still be the guy because he was replaced by Remmers in the, in the Ravens game with the sickness? But Wiley got his, his gig back. I think it's a point to watch. I don't know if there's going to be a replacement anytime soon, but I, I do think it's a possibility. And I think that would be the first move if you want to shake things up, would be adding Remmers to the mix and giving him a few games and seeing how the line does. Good point by you, John. Our final question, what will the second level defensive snaps look like? Willie Gay last game, 24 defensive snaps. Ben Neiman had 20. Is this a start of a trend or just the way that the Patriots were playing the Chiefs. I know that Craig Stout in his article mentioned a few more of those base type of looks, which is why Willie Gay got his first start. But man, this seems pretty obvious. The point that Willie Gay's ceiling is just a cathedral while <laughs> Ben Neiman, you know, it's, it's, it's like my apartment in Kansas City and looking <laughs> up at it right now. Like, I don't, I don't think this thing's getting any higher. Not to say that Neiman's a bad player. He's fine. I just, at some point, you'd like to see the Chiefs commit to, I think, to Willie Gay. And and is that's my question. Is this the start of a trend and a, a push toward that? Or was that just one game, isolated opportunity? Yeah, I think we're going to see uh, a lot more of Willie Gay. I do. I think they, uh, I think they like Neiman for reasons that have not as much to do with his playing ability, but, but how smart he is. We see him make heads-up plays in every game, even we, when we see him fail to make tackles. We still see him make a heads-up play. And we saw one of those against the Patriots. That tackle for loss turned out to be a big deal in the Patriots game at a pivotal moment in the game. But he also, you know, was failing to tackle people, you know, shedding, allowing running backs to get away from him and receivers. So you, you you have to wonder at what point do the Chiefs decide to prioritize athletic ability over the intelligence of the player. I love Ben Neiman, and he's a great special teams player, and he deserves a roster spot on the team, but maybe he's not the right guy to be back there, which is why I think we'll see more from Willie Gay. Those are your five questions heading into Kansas City and Las Vegas on Sunday, noon, Arrowhead time. Get your coverage at arrowheadpride.com. 
And now finally, it's the best Chiefs thing I heard all week. This comes from the ACC Network podcast, interviewing Sammy Watkins about being a girl dad. Sammy Watkins is two little girls. Here he is talking about it. Honestly, Sammy, the girl dad, nobody really see him. Um, he's soft. He's sweet. He's <laughs> nice, charming. Um, <laughs> and it's something that nobody really knows, man. I'm, 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 it's all about them. Um, my girls is my world. Um, it's something special to me. Um, and they just have all my attention. And um, they're adorable. And they keep me humble. They keep me in place. And they, they're my why. Why I play so hard. Why I wake up every day and um, be the good guy that I am. Because um, I, have, I have to be a leader in my household. Continuing our trend on the show, wide receivers off the field. Sammy Watkins. <laughs> a cuddly old dad, John. Yeah, I, I almost feel like I should get Terry to come in here and, and say... <laughs> And do a, a guest shot on the show where she can say, oh, I'm getting all misty. <laughs> and with that, that is a show for the week. He's John Dixon. You can catch all of his misty comments at Arrow Headphones. I'm at PG Sween. Of course, follow at Arrowhead Pride on Twitter. Keep it locked in at ArrowheadPride.com. We will have your Chiefs news and notes. Got a couple more injury reports this week as well as game analysis and previews. Thank you once again for joining us on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show.